For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. God has chosen to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. He will be very great, and we be called the Son of the Most High. But Mary asked the angel, How can I have a baby? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. While Mary was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, being just a man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. He will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This prophecy from Isaiah 7:14 was given 700 years before Jesus was born. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born. And at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own towns to register for the census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and took with him Mary, his wife who was great with child. And when they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. That night, there were shepherds in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, 
But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior. Yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host from heaven, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The angels left and the shepherds said to each other, Come, let us go to Bethlehem and see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they ran to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard their story were astonished. But Mary kept these things in her heart. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And at that same time came wise men from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star that arose and have come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by this question, as was all of Jerusalem. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where do the prophets say the Messiah will be born, he asked. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judea, you're not just a lowly village of Judah. For a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. This prophecy is found in Micah verse 2 and 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 2. Both were written 700 years before Jesus was born. So Herod sent a message to the wise men asking them to come see him. At this meeting he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. And they told him, Go to Bethlehem, search diligently for the child, and when you find him, come and tell me that I too may go and worship him. After this meeting, the wise men went on their way, and once again the star appeared to them to guide them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother were, and they fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went another way, because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod will try and kill the child. That very night, 
Joseph left for Egypt with a child and Mary. They stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Herod was furious. When he learned that the wise men had outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under because the wise men had told him that the star had first appeared to them about two years before. Then later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those who wish to murder the child are dead. So Joseph obeyed. He arose and he took the child and his mother and he re-entered Israel. When he heard, though, that Herod's son had taken over as king of Judea, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. On arriving, he settled in the village of Nazareth, fulfilling the words of the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is the story of Christmas. Wow. That was a transition. I don't know if you, uh, as Rob was sharing this Christmas story, he shared really compilation of things for all over, all over Scripture. But today we want to focus just upon a, probably the most famous part of the Christmas story out of Luke 2. But uh, I don't know if you noticed in there, but when the angel came to Mary, um, her first response wasn't, hey, this is great, because she was afraid, uh, something she wasn't in, encountered before. Why is it that we always, when something unexpected happens to us, do we generally think it's bad news? Why do we do that? I mean, I mean, how many of us have uh, have gotten a letter from the IRS, and uh, and we gather the family around to open the letter? You know, hey, hey, family, we we don't know. I mean, is that what you do? I mean, no, you expect bad news, right? I mean, how many of you uh, uh, parents uh, say to your kids, "I'd like to talk to you," and what is their first response? Am I in trouble? Right? I mean, how many of your kids think, you know, when you want to talk to them, I don't care how good of a parent you are, uh, your kids, for some reason, when you want to talk to them, you, they must be in trouble. Or how many of you, when you were in school, uh, back uh, a long time ago, whenever it was, like me, or, or some of you in school now, if, if you were in, sitting in class in high school or something, and all of a sudden over the intercom comes an announcement, would the following students please come to the office? And you were one of them. And what did everybody in the class do? They went, oh, yeah, okay. I knew you, you've been there before, right? You've done that. Maybe your name was, was there, you know? I don't know where this came from, but somehow uh, the problem is, is that when we hear news that we don't expect, we usually think it's bad news. And for some reason, we have transferred this to God. We have this universal fear of interaction with God because we think if God was going to speak to me, it must be because of something I've done wrong. And so what happens so often we have this fear, this fear uh, when, when we interact with God that God is really going to find out something about me that he doesn't already know as if he, that could happen. 
But the reality is that sometimes we want to stay away. We think we can distance ourselves from God, and so we have this fear. Maybe this morning somebody invited you to church, and you came here because it's Christmas, and uh, you really don't want to come uh, because maybe you just don't want to interact with God because maybe this coming to church is one step closer to having to connect with God because of some strange experiences you've had over the years with people who call themselves Christians. I know sometimes, you know, we fear God for various reasons. I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, there are some stories in the Bible. I don't know if you know this or not as a parent. There are some stories in the Bible that you should not teach your kids when they're young. Really? Okay. Uh, David and Bathsheba, you know, uh, if you don't know that story, look it up. Uh, but I remember one when I was a kid, my parents would, would teach us Bible stories and, and, and I remember one, it was in this kid's uh, children's uh, Bible story book, and it was the story of these two people, this couple in Scripture, they were called Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, just to make the long story short, was a, was a couple who, who uh, basically was going to give this offering to God, but then they lied about how much they gave. And in this story, the first, uh, uh, you know, the guy, uh, Ananias, uh, goes, goes and says to the people in the church, you know, this, I gave this much, and then the, the, basically he lies. And what happens? Anybody know what happens in this story? He dies because he lied. And then the wife comes in and she does the same thing. She lies and she dies. Now for a child who's, you know, like seven years old, you know, anytime I thought about talking to God or saying thing to God, I'm going like, you know, I can't, you know, if I lie, God, is God going to whack me? Literally. I mean, we have this kind of, and, and for a long time I had this fear fear of God, because I thought God was this big guy up there who's going to whack me every time I tell a lie. We have this, uh, this fear of the unknown, the fear of God. Now, I want to say this today because this is, this is Christmas, and we've been talking about this uh, coming to the party, and, 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 and Christmas should be a time of celebration. It should be all those things. But the reality is that the message of Christmas, the message of the Christmas story, if we truly understand the message of Christmas, not just the story of Christmas, but the message of Christmas, it should erase all the fear that we have of coming to God. It should erase everything we have. If we really understood and embraced this story, we would have our fears erased. Uh, we wouldn't be afraid to open the envelope and, and to see what's inside. We wouldn't be afraid of getting too close to God. Uh, we wouldn't have this unhealthy fear. It would evaporate if we truly understand the Christmas story. So um, we're going to talk about Now, the irony of this, all this is, is this. Uh, we all know the story. Even people who don't go to church know the Christmas story. I mean, it's like it's like a preacher, you know, like people ask me, what are you preaching Christmas, pastor? Duh. I mean, you know, it's the one time a year, maybe twice a year, Christmas and Easter, you kind of know what I'm going to preach on before you show up, right? And, uh, and the reality is, is that we all know the story. And not only do we know the story, many of you have been in the story. How many of you were a shepherd? How many of you were the sheep? You know what I'm talking about? You have at school, or maybe you used to could do that at school. But uh, maybe uh, maybe in, in church somewhere you grew up and you, you took part in the little Christmas play or pageant. You've been part of the story, right? I mean, how many of you were part of a Christmas story? Raise your hand. Look at that. Not only do you know the story, you've been in the story. You've been in the story. And so the story is not new, right? The story is not new. But we don't always get the message of the story. That's the problem. But why then is there this disconnect between the story of Christmas and the message of Christmas? 
See, I believe it's God's heart's desire. His greatest desire is to, is to do away with the fear that we have of connecting with God and being close to God. Because it's that fear that causes us not to have that close, intimate relationship with God that he wants to have with us. You know, in the Bible, there's four accounts, uh, four accounts of Jesus' life. They're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And a couple of them actually have the Christmas story in it. Uh, but the most famous Christmas story, the one that's quoted most often, is the one out of Luke chapter 2. And, and if you look at it today, and if you take your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you today, Luke chapter 2, begin with verse 1. Uh, we're going to look at that in just a moment. But the setting of the story was, was pretty important. The, the time, uh, it was a time of incredible uncertainty. It was a time of fear and confusion. And for 40 years, Rome had ruled the Jewish nation. And, and there was no hope in, in the midst of all this chaos and confusion. God decides to step into the world literally. And so we began to read this. And I just want to read to you briefly. Uh, Rob uh, earlier, some of you know him as Scott. But uh, Rob earlier shared with, uh, with, with us uh, part of the story as part of the longer part of the story. But let's go back to it. It says in verse 1 in chapter 2 of Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I don't know what the deal was, but, but uh, Caesar at that time, who was the ruler of all of them, said, Let me, hey guys, how many people do we have? How many people do we have? So I want to take a census. I don't know why he had to have a census, but that was something he decided to do. Uh, and it says that this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Then in verse 3, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Now, when we don't, we read this and we're going like, okay, what's the big deal? You know, I have to go to another town. Well, it's about 170 to 200 miles. We don't know exactly, but kind of close to somewhere between 170 and 200 mile journey. And in those days, they didn't have cars. Matter of fact, they walked most places. And not only, not only <clears throat> did Joseph have to go there, but he had to go with not only himself, but with his pregnant wife because it says in the next verse he went there to register with mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child i mean he probably came to her and said mary i've got some some bad news we got to go you know take this 170 the 200 mile road trip and I, the good news is i'm not going to make you walk well maybe that's i don't know if that's good news or bad news but the, but the news is i'm going to give you a donkey to ride you know a nine-month, full-term pregnant lady. She's going to take this, uh, this long, long ride here. It says, while they were there, the, first, the time came for the baby to be born. While they finally got there. And they, she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. We know the story. How many of you could have quoted that? You know? There was no room in the inn. I mean, what a horrible thing. And then the famous line in the story, uh, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is a, The word shone here is a lot. It means incredibly bright light. I mean, we live in, in around towns and cities where there's lights all the time, and at night it's still kind of lit up. But they were out in the middle of a field somewhere, nowhere near lights or anything. And all of a sudden, this incredible light, it's the only time this word is used, it's used one other time in all the scriptures where it's shown. It's when a, a light shines so powerfully that it knocks a guy off a horse. That's a pretty powerful light. And here's these guys out in the field, these shepherds out in the field. And it says this light shone on them. And then it says this, and they were terrified. Well, duh. 
I mean, how many of you were out in the middle of a field, in the middle of, and you were, and you're out there, and you're probably sitting there, and you're doing what you do out in the middle of a field, I guess. I don't know what you do out in the middle of a field besides when you're keeping sheep. But the reality is, is they probably sit there looking up at the stars and going like, I seem so small. Wonder what the purpose of life. You know, have you ever thought about those things, you know, when you're sitting, you have time to think. And all of a sudden, your quietness, your solitude is broken by this incredibly bright light. It probably is so bright, and your eyes are adjusted to the dark. It's so bright that all of a sudden you're blinded by this. Just to paint a picture of that. And then in verse 10, it says, <clears throat> it says they were terrified. Uh, and the word terrified there, excuse me, in verse 9, says uh, they were terrified it is, uh, is a really interesting word because it's actually... Uh, Luke there takes two uh, little Greek words and puts them together. And those two Greek words literally mean, it's the word where we get the root word phobia from. Where the phobia from. It means this, it wasn't just they were kind of afraid. It means they feared a big fear. It was like, you know, like heart-stopping type of fear is they had going on in their lives. And these were outdoorsmen, guys that were used to being out in the, in the outdoors, and they were probably rugged guys who took, kept sheep and lived outside off the land. And they weren't easily frightened, but they were terrified by what went on. But then it says in verse 10, But the angel said to them, What? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The, the angel comes to them and says this, Whatever you feared, don't. Whatever you thought you were going to ha- what was going to happen, don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. Do not be afraid. And then he says this, because I bring you good news of great joy that will be, and this is important, for all the people. For all the people. See, the implication here, and this is what we miss so often, because we know the story so well that we just kind of, when you know something so well so often, what you do is you miss the point of what it is because you could just quote it and you don't really think about what it means. I mean, how many often, how often can you just do things? Do you ever driving down the road and you just all of a sudden just, you're driven it a thousand times. It's on your way to work, let's say. And all of a sudden you show up at work and you're going like, how did I get here? Ever done that? Don't, don't raise your hand. We don't want to be near you when you're driving. But sometimes that happens. It's so, it's so, so, it's something that we just kind of get used to and you just don't even think about it anymore, right? Well, this is what happens so often in this story. And this is, it's so important. I bring you great, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The implication there is this. He says, do not be afraid because this is good news for all people, not simply good news for good people or not simply good news for spiritual people or consistent people or church people. He said, that's not, it's not just that kind of good news. See, God is doing something that has nothing to do with what you've done. It's for everybody. It's not based on your behavior. See, God has decided, there's this rule in life that you get what you deserve, right? Isn't that the rule in life? You get what you deserve? That we, at least we think that's what we, what the rule is. But God decides here, he says in scripture, God has decided to forego the you get what you deserve rule. He decides to forego that. And so in spite of you, not because of you, he says in this, in a sense, in a relationship with God, your sin is irrelevant. That's why you don't need to be afraid. Because, you know, what makes you afraid? If God was to encounter you, if you were walking down the road and you saw a bright light and an angel showed up and he said you're from God, what would you first, your first thought would be? No. I think that really would be your first thought. Because it would be unexpected. And the reason you would say that is because you begin to think about all the stuff you've done. 
you know, to have this encounter with God. We think about all the stuff we've done in life that would cause us not to have an encounter with God and not to be accepted by God. But then it says in the next verse, this is what is true. This is why this is such great news, and that's why it's for all people. Because he says today in verse 11, the day in the town of David, a, a coach is born. Is that what we needed, a coach? How about, how about a, a teacher? Maybe that's what's been born, a teacher. Maybe a helper. Maybe an encourager. We don't need any of those things. We don't need anybody to tell us we're bad, right? We don't need anybody just got to help us along. What we need is exactly what God sent. And it says for you, for today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And he says, this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And now if they weren't scared enough after the one angel shows up and tells him this, and it says this, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Now, when we read this, we just, we, you know what I was going to say, because you know the story. But you know why that's so important? That the angel said glory to God in the highest. It doesn't even say, lucky you shepherds, God showed up. That's not what he says. It's saying glory to God. He says because of what God has done, he sent a savior. God gets all the credit. God gets all the credit. And what do we get? Look at the rest of the verse. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. See, God gets the credit. And what do we get? And we get peace. I don't know about you, but you need peace in the midst of chaos. Maybe your maybe your life is easier than mine. I don't know. Maybe y'all you, you, just just everything everything goes perfect for you, right? Every, you have no stressors in your life right now, right? I have several people ask me today uh, because I, I, my life's been pretty stressful recently, and I shared this because and I shared it yesterday at a funeral service as I was in a funeral service and and I was doing I was talking about you know I thought that when my kids grew up and went left the house that I would be less stressed in my life because they weren't be right there with me. But let me tell you, I'm more stressed. Because now I don't have direct access and direct influence on their life. And I want to, you know, and they're, and plus they're adults, you know, and I, I don't want to, you know, I, I still want to be an influencer because as a parent, you still want to see your kids do well. And when they struggle and things happen, so, uh, you know, I mean, truthfully stress, that's my biggest stress in life sometimes. I mean, some other stuff's easy. But all of us have stress in life. And what do we need in the midst of this crazy world we live in? I mean, right now, Christmas is insane the way we, we celebrate it in America. I mean, I mean, how many of us are going like, wow, I'm so relaxed at Christmas. It's not, I mean, you know, you've got 40 extra things on your menu, all these parties and all these buying, pre- I mean, I had people this morning going like, I hope the weather clears up because I still got to buy presents. Are you one of those people? I hope not. But we get stressed out because what, do you, what we need is peace. See, God gets the credit, it says, and, and we get the peace. Because the, the thing is this that we so often miss in the story. If God was simply fair, if this was fair news, what would fair news be? If God was totally fair, we would get what we deserve. Right? That's fair. Y'all are awful quiet this morning. Is that fair or is that not fair? We get what we deserve. If that was fair, if God, if this was fair news, if God is fair, then we have something to fear, right? 
because we would get what we deserve. But God says, no, this is not fair news. This is good news. And good news is God gives you what you don't deserve. He says this on God. God has brought and he's brought peace to earth to men on whom his favor rests. And what in the world does that mean? He's going like he's doing for you what you don't deserve. He said, yeah, 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 I mean, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to come and I'm going to give you exactly what you need. Not because you deserve it, because I decide to do it. And your response is, and my response is, because we're negative, is no way. No way would God do that. See, if you don't get this, the message of Christmas, that God has come to give us what we don't deserve, you will never have peace until you understand what God did at Christmas. And then what Christmas led to with the cross. You will never have peace in your life. Because you know actually there was a there was a time when man's interaction with God was not based on fear. There are, there was. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. Remember when Adam and Eve we're going I thought this was Christmas. No. We go remember Adam and Eve back in the garden and they it says they they walked with God and when God showed up I mean they didn't mind if God had given them an envelope they would have opened it up because they knew it's oh I've got a great relationship with God everything's going great here there was no fear in that relationship they had this intimacy as they walked with God and what destroyed that did God destroy it no sin destroyed it intimacy went away and after sin Remember after sin, what happened? Adam and Eve hid because they had fear. It's the same reason you run and you don't go to, get a, for, towards God. You don't go to church. You don't do the things because you fear. Because they knew that something, you know, the thing is Adam and Eve knew when they sinned that something was wrong in their heart. Something was wrong. And we know in our lives when something is wrong, when we've done something wrong, don't we? We do. We, we don't, we don't like, we don't like the S word. We don't like the S word, sin. We don't like that word. So we just use other words like, oh, I just made a mistake. We, I just made a mistake. Well, I mean, let me, let me explain something to you. Um, you know, we think, like, is a lie a mistake? No. I mean, make, having the wrong answer on a math problem is a mistake. Is an affair a mistake? Oops. No. Think it's, it's, it's sin. See, the good news of Christmas is this. God knew the problem that we had and he fixed it for us. And he, and if we will embrace the truth and we will give God all the glory, then we will have all the peace. And, and it means that your past is no longer an issue in your relationship with God. God gets all the glory and we get all the peace. Matter of fact, uh, there were some guys that walked with Jesus. One of them was called the Apostle John. And, uh, and one of this, the Apostle John wrote uh, several books in the New Testament. One was the Gospel of John, but also these really creatively named uh, letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, aren't those incredibly creative names for the books, uh, letters that were there? And, and, and one of them, John, John traveled with Jesus. And after he, this baby grew to be a man that grew up, that was born in the world on Christmas, um, and finally, John was exiled to an island because of his dedication to Jesus because everybody thought he was crazy. And, uh, and then he finally wrote this little verse in 1 John 4, verse 18, 
which really puts all this whole thing together. It's the message of Christmas. It says this, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. He said, fear is driven out by unconditional love. And what is it replaced with? A healthy reverence and awe of who God is. Fear is something we have because you and I know we deserve punishment. But Christmas, the message in Scripture, the message of Christmas is this, fear not. Fear not. And if we understand and embrace that, the dread is gone. And it's replaced with a healthy reverence. And when you worship, it's from the heart. And the unhealthy run from God fear is gone. See, ironically, the thing is this. In our running from God, we run towards the things that we really should fear. See, our greatest regret, I can can guarantee this. Our greatest regret, relationally or financially, or in any area of life you want to name, is the overflow of a time when you ran from God and you ran to something you should have been afraid of and it caused even more distance between you and God. See, the message of Christmas is this. Fear not. My favor rests on you. You know what that means? It means God decided not to give you and not to give me what we deserve. I want to ask the band to come on and get come on out. We're going to close our service in just a minute here. But I want you to imagine just for a moment as we close, I, I want you to imagine this scenario. And I want you to think about it in real terms. I, I, that God some way comes and speaks personally to you, verbally to you. Never happened to me so far, but I, I'm looking forward to it if he would, I guess. But if what if he came to you and... You put your, in your mind, put your name there in, this, in a blank and then do this. He said, what are, I'll just use my name. Bill, fear not. My favor rests on you. What would be your initial reaction? If your response would be, yeah, but I'm not sure God would do that then the message of Christmas has not penetrated your heart. And you're still afraid. And you'll never have joy and peace and all the things that God wants you to have until that does penetrate your heart. But if your response is, when when God says to you, fear not, my favorite restaurant, your response is, thank you, thank you, thank you, then you understand and embrace the message of Christmas. I pray that we don't read the story of Christmas and miss the message. Because God wants you to fear not. Because His favor rests on you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.